0: If you have your Bible, we are going to be in Matthew six today, Matthew chapter six. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I hope that you had time with family. I hope it was revealing and that gratitude grew in your heart. Um, I hope it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, because life's about to get crazy, right? December—it's just bonkers. Like it's. I, I, uh, but also the Advent's coming, which makes me happy, like it helps me. So uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. Oh, we're in Matthew chapter 6. So we're walking through the book of Matthew. I don't know if you've noticed, but the pace has, has been very me, right? It's weird, right? Where it's like, we'll do like a whole chapter and then two words, Right? Remember that Sunday? There was a whole sermon. It was like, Our Father, right? So what we're, it kind of almost feels like we're walking through Matthew, but with this small sermon inside, sermon series inside a sermon series, right? There was the Beatitude Sermon Series inside the Matthew Sermon Series. Now we're kind of in the sermon series on the Lord's Prayer inside of Matthew, because Matthew's doing these things on purpose. He's, he's giving us this teaching, and so sometimes we just need to slow down. And so uh, in his first great block of teaching, his, his really introduction to Jesus is the first four chapters where he just goes on and on and... and, and about this Jesus, and we don't even hear him talk, really, or at least we don't hear him teach until we get to chapter 5, and he goes up on a mountain, and he he calls people to him. His disciples sit down, and he begins to teach them. And in the middle of the middle section of this sermon uh, is the Lord's Prayer, and uh, prayer is this universal instinct. I think um, most people uh, all over the world throughout time and space have cried out to something bigger than themselves, Right, it's just a human instinct because we realize how small we are. We realize how little control we have. Uh, I think one of the things that's interesting about the modern world is is that we uh, convince ourselves that we have more control than we do. Right, and that's one of the reasons that God sometimes feels distant is because we believe that we have so control, so much control when we really don't. So uh, this this crying out when we realize that we have so little agency, you know, being only a few years on this rock that is hurtling through space at thousands of miles an hour right like how did like we have so little and so 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 little control and so so we've cried out as a species since we first could, uh, knowing that we needed something else. It's this universal instinct. The Christian prayer, though, uh, it arises as an act of faith. It's a response to faith. It's not just a crying out, but it's faith planted in our heart. Christian uh, prayer is, a responding to, is responding to God that's already spoken. And so Jesus here teaches us to pray in the middle of the sermon. He says, this is how you pray. He starts off by saying, don't pray first. Don't pray for other people. It's not about that. And two, you don't have to summon up. God, he's, he's, he's your, he's, you don't have to come up with a bunch of fancy words. You don't need to just go on and on and on. He hears you. And then he says, instead of doing that, instead of just stacking up empty words, instead of praying for other people's attention, go into private and pray like this. And then he gives us this prayer that is a model, right? It's something that we could use. I, I, I love, it's been said before that it is, That it is, uh, it's it's a good pattern for your entire life of prayer to start with and to finish with. You will never exhaust the beauty of this prayer, and so it's this this outline in this form of how we pray. Not that we not that we just pray these words, but we use it to structure our prayer. Life. So Jesus is not just teaching us the words to say, but He's teaching us a, a way into prayer, breaking down some of the barriers. Some of the barriers are like, "Well, I don't know what to say." Well, Jesus is giving you what to say, where to start. Sometimes a barrier is, "I, I don't know how to feel about God. What is my position? What is my posture? How am I supposed to be? Is he, is he a friend, or I should be afraid?" And Jesus introduces us into prayer in a way that's just so beautiful. Let's let's just you know what, let's start. Let's read it. Uh, this is uh, in Matthew chapter six. I'm going to start in verse. Um, Verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites uh, they stand on the corners. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And this is verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the, as the Gentiles do. Do not think that they will uh, you'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Very short prayer, very beautiful prayer. Children can memorize it, yet it is so deep that those that have gone before us have used it their entire lives in their approach to God. It starts off with our, our Father. Uh, our Father is just this beautiful way to begin uh, because it reminds us when we come into prayer that we are addressing a God who has adopted us. That we, by grace, are made children, right? So we immediately begin to think that, that our Father has given us a new family because it starts with the word our, not my, but our Father has given us a new family, but also a new inheritance, a, a, a new future. And so we begin with our Father and that establishes the relationship. There is authority there, but there's also deep concern. The relationship of Father Uh, gentles the infinite power and might towards us, yeah? And so, start with our Father, and then hallowed be thy name. This is about praise, right? Using, uh, God, use your infinite power and wisdom to stir up billions of hearts to admire you, to know what you are like, that people would know you as you are, that your name would be respected, that who you are and what you have done will be known throughout the world. And this is just praise and adoration, which Is so good for us because it completes our joy. Like real joy is not finished until we praise. And so to take and have joy in him, we we praise him. And even though it's incomplete and it's not uh, accurate and we we struggle in so many ways in praise, uh, it is um, a rehearsal, right? Our praise, our worship services are this anticipation of the great symphony that is to come when all things are new. So this is it. And so before we get to our troubles, right, Give us this day our daily bread, you know, forgive us our trespasses. Before we get to our troubles, Jesus teaches us to set down our worries for just a minute to realize who he is. Because then we'll pick our worries back up in a different way. Because we know who he is and what he's like. So this is how it starts. And so today we're going to talk about this, this second petition. The first petition that addresses our Father who art in heaven. First petition, God, may your name be holy, may your name be set apart. And the second petition is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, so, uh, yeah, what is this? Uh, kingdom. Uh, we don't talk much about kingdom. Uh, you know, it's just nothing we think about much. Uh, kingdom would be the rules that you live under, the authority that you live under, right? The, and, you know, we don't think about it that way because uh, of democracy, right? But uh, the kingdoms that they lived under, they, they were very aware of the idea of kingdom. I think uh, I heard someone say one time, think about it uh, as... Uh, the rule of a boss or a coach, right? That they come in with a new philosophy about the way things are going to be done, right? Here's how it's going to be. So if you've ever gotten a new boss, sometimes the entire culture of the office changes because the boss comes in and he thinks differently he te- or she teaches differently or she wants different goals or the coach comes in and wants different things, different things accomplished. And, and, and a good boss or a good coach, under their authority, what you really want to see is the people that sit under their authority live up to their potential, perhaps even go beyond. Like a good boss, a good coach will make you better than you knew you could be. That's what you want to see. And so you want that kind of authority that understands you, that understands how things work, and then raises people up in it to flourish, to to be successful, to be all that they're intended to be. So that's the idea of the, the culture that, that, we are surrounded with when we find ourselves under authority. So talking about new kingdom, this kingdom come, it's a new culture, new rules, new values, a new way of understanding and seeing the world. So for the Israelites that Jesus is talking to, this is part of their daily life. They're under the authority of Rome who had very different values, very different culture, very different way of doing things and understanding the world. And they wanted to change. The average person would have just desired for a different kingdom, a change of kingdom. They would have longed for it and asked for it and waited for it. Not only were they aware of kingdom because of the Roman occupation at the time, uh, but they wanted a new kingdom because, well, it was part of their history and they knew their history right? So they were a people that God had created, and they believed that, right? That they were a people that God had created that he had set apart to bless them, and that he was going to bless the entire world by blessing them, right? Through them, God's going to bless the entire world. That was who they were supposed to be, a nation of priests representing God on this earth to everybody else. That's what they're supposed to be. But uh, yeah, they they didn't live up to that, Right? There's so much of the story in the old testament is God saying, No, no, no. You are supposed to be this. You're supposed to follow me and listen to me. You're supposed to be this example, and I will bless you if you will just obey me, if you will keep my rules, and they don't live up to it. As a matter of fact, sometimes they're as bad as the nations around them. God's like, What are you doing? Like you're just as bad as ever matter of fact, one time he says to them, You're worse than the nations that are around you. Like how is this possible that I've given you every advantage and you still go on your own way? So God would often use other nations to punish them. If they got too far off course, he would send another nation, a pagan nation to come in and go, all right, you haven't listened. And you, know, you can't stand the land acting like the pagans did. So you have to learn. And so he would send another nation to punish them. Kind of the big one, right? The biggest one is Babylon. God sends Babylon, you know, roughly 600 years before Jesus. And Babylon, man, Babylon comes as this powerful nation to the north, and they not only attack, they, sick and tired of Israel's constant rebellion, completely destroy the capital city of Jerusalem. The temple, everything, wipe it out, systematically level the whole thing. So Babylon comes and they level and they take some of the, most of the people and they take them off to exile. They leave some people there and everybody's just stunned. What is this? I mean, sh- Jerusalem falling? This is where God's temple is. This is where God lives. What is going on? And so they're confused. Even if we deserve it, God, what about your promises? Like you've made promises about your nation and about your people and about your city. So even if we deserve this, are we just going to be ruled by another kingdom? So even the prophets had said this, right? They had these promises. The prophets had said this. Ezekiel had said, God's going to come himself one day. Yahweh will come himself and be the shepherd of Israel. Uh, uh, Ezekiel, uh, sorry, Zechariah said that Yahweh is going to come and all his saints are going to come with him. Malachi, a little bit of warning in what he says, he says that God is going to come suddenly into his temple. Right, so there's all these promises that God's actually going to come Himself, and so after all this time, you're wondering where is this kingdom that God is going to come and bring? Right? Where is the promised one that you're going to send and do this? Like, how, what's happening when everything is falling apart and it looks like God is not in control? Where are you? What about the promises? And so they're longing for this kingdom. They're longing for this king to come for God's rule on earth because they're sick of. The Babylonians, they're sick of the ones who came after that. The Persians, they're sick of the ones that came after that. The Romans. Where's God's rule? Where are God's promises? Isaiah speaks to this like, most beautifully. Like I, maybe the, I, I didn't mean to put down the other prophets, but like, I just love the way that Isaiah says this. Isaiah says these amazing, amazing things right after they've been... Babylon's Babylon's come in and destroy Jerusalem, he says these amazing things. Uh, He says in uh, Isaiah 40, he says, uh, there is going to be a highway in the wilderness. He says, the valleys and the mountains are going to be flattened out. And he says that the glory of Yahweh will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. He says, God is going to come just like another king. The le- he's, it's going to be so amazing. He's going to take all the roads, put it right through the desert, all the mountains and the valleys flattened out. He's going to come into his town, and you're going to be able to see it with your own eyes. That's what the promise of Isaiah. When the people are looking around and confused at it, what's well, happening, he says, do not, do not worry. Comfort, comfort. Isaiah 40 is the turning point in that book, and he says, comfort, comfort my people. God has not abandoned you. He'll come. But this is 600 years ago when Jesus is talking, but Isaiah had said this, he said this amazing thing, uh, this amazing poem, Isaiah 52, he says this, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together in singing, you waste place of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. This is good news. He says, listen. Listen. Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah to his people, listen, I understand where you're at and what you're thinking, but you need to know there's a time coming when I will come myself and I will bring good news. The, watch, the, the, the watchman will see it coming. The, the messengers will announce the good news and I am going to come into my place. You will see me eye to eye. This is the promise that they've been waiting for for 600 years. The good news, a new exodus, a new salvation, uh, but how? Like, what, what, what is this go, even going to look like? And so it's into this thinking, it's into this way of understanding the world that Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and he's walking around and he's talking about these things. He's saying, hey, I've got good news. And if you grew up in this culture, if you knew what he was saying, you would know what he was saying. You would know that he's making reference to Isaiah. There's this good news, this announcement that God's way is coming. And he says this. He's so hot. He says, it. He says. He says Good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what he's been teaching. Matthew says he's been going around teaching, healing people, and saying, The good news, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's very near, it's right here, it's nearby. These people have been waiting for this, and here comes someone saying, Nope, it's happening, and it's happening now. So, I mean, there's no way they couldn't hear that politically, right? I mean, if Rome is occupying, like you think about that, to hear it politically. But how is this going to happen? Because Jesus goes around after this and he begins to say that he's bringing about the kingdom, but he does it in ways that confuses everybody. Even the people closest to him are confused. There's this amazing point one time in Jesus' life, he's teaching, and John the Baptist, the guy who announced Jesus and, and came before him, uh, it, John's been arrested and in jail, and he sends a note to Jesus and goes, are you the guy or not? I basically this, I don't understand what you're doing. Are you the one or not? Should we wait for another? Because the way Jesus is going about, hey, the kingdom's here, it's at hand, and he goes about and he's doing it in a weird way that nobody understands. Everybody's confused by what he's doing. Isaiah talks about the captives being set free. That's what they want. But instead of the captives being set free, instead of Israel walking out, instead, Jesus is healing the lame. The people that are hurting and broken, the outsiders, he's going to them and he's healing them and he's telling them that they have a place in the kingdom. He's going about healing people and spending time with prostitutes and tax collectors and people are like, what are you doing? You should be building an army. And he goes about doing what Isaiah said about setting the captives free, but he's doing it in a way that confuses everybody. He's setting them free from sickness. He's setting them free from from, from all types of of, of illnesses. but he's also telling people things like forgiving their sins. He says your sins are forgiven and people are outraged. And he's going about setting captives free in a way that nobody saw coming. Not only that, he's going about uh, uh, um, talking about, uh, Isaiah talked about the defeat of the kingdom uh, uh, of the oppressive regimes that, that rule over people. He says, hey, God is going to come, and when he shows up, he's going to defeat the evil regime. And Jesus is going around saying these things, but he's not doing anything about the oppressive rulers. Not just the Romans, but even the Jewish leaders were oppressive. And they're not, Jesus doesn't seem to be doing anything about them. Instead, what he's doing is he's talking about forgiveness of sins, and he's talking, he's going to go to the cross and he's going to die. And and instead, he seems to be doing something not about the political authorities of the time, although he is addressing them, but he's doing something deeper, he says. He's doing something else, he says. I heard one guy said it this way, uh, one commentator, I can't remember who it was or I'd tell you, uh, said that so many times people want Jesus to deal with the immediate issue, and Jesus is just jumping forward to the end of the story. Here's what I mean. So often in our lives and so often in their lives, they want to deal with the immediate problem that I have. Come and address the immediate issue. I need this, I need that, this is wrong, fix this, 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 and this. Then we'll talk about sin. Then we'll talk about death being over. But I need you to deal with this. And Jesus just jumps right to the end and says, I'm gonna deal with sin and with death and that's gonna help you walk through all the other things in your life so he just jumps to the end he's, he's gone past what everybody thought but everybody's confused because the Romans are still there and Jesus is like no 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 no. that's gonna come but first I'm gonna deal with the real oppressors which are sin and death so that's what he's doing in a different way Jesus is out bringing about the kingdom, setting captives free, defeating oppressive enemies of sin and death, but he's doing it in an unheard of way. He's not raising power. He's not building up strength. He's not getting a huge group of influential followers. Instead, he's going around saying things like if somebody hits you, you should turn the other cheek. If somebody oppresses you and makes you carry their stuff a mile, you should carry it too. He's saying crazy things like, you know what? If your enemy oppresses you, you should love them. It's a totally different way of addressing the issue. He's doing things in an unheard of way. Jesus is not only doing it in in a way that people don't understand. The people that he's talking to and spending time with and and the people that he says that it's for uh, it doesn't make any sense either. It's not the influential. As a matter of fact, Jesus makes a really big deal about taking the powerful to task. No, he says instead that the kingdom of God is for the poor in spirit. It's for those who mourn. It's for the meek. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's for the outsider. It's not just how he's doing it. It's, it's, It's who he's calling into this kingdom. It's unreal what he's doing and what he's the way he's doing it, and how he's doing it, and who he's inviting in. It's so confusing, and so upside down, and so backwards. So, when we pray, when he teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is he asking for us? What are we doing when we pray that, when he teaches us to pray that? uh, First, we're praying, I think, for new, new heavens and new earth, for God to make all things new. It's hopeful. It's a hopeful prayer. God, thy kingdom come. It's a prayer that people pray when they realize that things aren't the way they should be. When families are broken, when people are hurt, when the world is full of sickness and death, and and, and so much is going on and full of war and rumors of war and all types of tragedy, we look around and say, the world's not supposed to be like this. And the prayer for thy kingdom come is for God to come and heal everything. The promise is that he's going to make everything new. The way that he did at the beginning, he will do again. He will take this creation and make everything new. I think that's the first thing that we're praying. We pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Also, though, uh, we should kind of be aware that if we're going to pray that, that uh, it seems to be, uh, I mean, like it makes sense that that's kind of dangerous for us to pray that. Right, I mean, they killed Jesus for doing this, bringing, talking about bringing about well, the kingdom. Uh, here's what I mean by dangerous. Uh, I think that when Jesus teaches us to pray, "That kingdom come and that will be done," he's talking about the overturning of an existing kingdom. And you learn all the way through the actually Old Testament, but a lot in the New Testament that what the kingdom he's talking about specifically is Satan's kingdom. That he rules and has authority and he has power now and the sickness and all the things and the accusation and the brokenness that behind so much of this are evil spiritual forces. And so when he says thy kingdom come, he's talking about the destruction of those evil powerful forces. He's talking about spiritual warfare. For us praying against the things that attack us, the things that are going on, the things that influence and lead away, the things that steer us away from Christ, the things that would take his people, his sheep away from him. And spiritual warfare for sure is what he's talking about. When he talks about overturning this kingdom, he's talking about overturning Satan's rule in our life. I think this starts, I think this starts for all of us in our heart. If by what we mean in our heart is the core, the very center of us where we uh, live out of, the thing that we desire, the thing that helps us, whatever it is inside of us, our soul, the place that we make decisions out of, it starts there so when we pray that kingdom come we're not just praying for this thing for god to come and make things new though we do pray for that we're also praying this in my heart god make your kingdom deeper and more real in my own heart in my own life in my life come there is not an inch of creation nor is there an inch of your life and heart over which god does not declare his own lordship drive that deeper into my soul. Your kingdom come in my life. The things that you value, the things that you care about, the things that you want your way, drive it deeper and deeper, deeper into me. When he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, those aren't two separate things. God's kingdom is where his will is done. So, the kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. There's a place, uh, I, think, I think the best way of me, the way that helps me think about this, is that heaven is this realm right? This place, this other other place where God's will is done, where what he has designed and said happens, and then we have earth where we are, and heaven is a control room of earth, And, and here we are waiting for his will to be done, and he says, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray that, we are praying that in our life right now, what is god's will starts to begin to happen in us even now it starts with the kingdom going deeper in my life in my heart whatever is the core thing that dictates me god you take rule and authority there because what exists there otherwise is what my, my kingdom right what exists in my center is my kingdom and what happens in your kingdom what happens in your kingdom is that your will is done. That is where you are praised and valued above everything else. Uh, that's what your kingdom is. And when we take our job and we take uh, a relationship or we take, uh, we take um, uh, family or w- whatever it is that we are using and we place something, uh, success, uh, people's affirmation of us, and we place that uh, in our heart, we are using that to make our kingdom come in our life. Does that make sense? We want this thing so badly. The reason we want this so badly and we're willing to sacrifice relationships, we're willing to be disobedient, the reason we want it so badly is we believe that if we had that, then our kingdom would come, that our will would be done and that we would be finally happy. That's what we believe, right? The allure is the lie that if you know, that we know best how to be deeply satisfied. And so that we long for our kingdom to come because we believe that if we could just have our way, have all of the things that we desire, all of our needs met, then we could finally stop and we could rest and everything would be okay. If, if she just loved me, then I would be okay. If, I, if everyone would just get out of my way and let me be me, then everything would be okay and I could rest. If he hadn't done that to me, I would be okay. If I had a different family situation, if I had different parents, if I had a different start, a better example, it wouldn't have to be this way. And we keep believing that if we could just have our way, then everything would be okay. But the problem is, is that we're really poor kingdom builders. We're really bad at it. Any progress we make seems to be at the expense of others and we're really, really bad. And the rest, sometimes it comes, but it always seems to fade after a time. And so how Jesus comes about telling us to bring the kingdom in his life, it doesn't make any sense. It's so counterintuitive that the way that we have the satisfaction and the life that we are looking for is not to let our kingdom come, but to let him come and destroy the kingdom of our life and put his rule in its place right? Jesus, your kingdom come in my heart and in my life. Do away with my kingdom. All the things that I think will satisfy me, all my ways, they have not worked. You come. My way is broken down and my way is so fragile. And even when I make progress, it seems that I keep hurting other people and I am so, so tired. And that, accepting his rule, accepting his authority, understanding that by grace we get what he has, what he has earned, we get that. It is a gift from him, and we can set aside striving so hard to have the things that we think that we need. We can have that righteousness given to us. Jesus says this amazing, amazing thing. Uh, a couple, a little bit later in Matthew, in Matthew 11 he says this, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The burden of finding satisfaction yourself is too heavy. It's too hard, it's exhausting. Uh, Jesus says, put the burden down of, of, of finding fulfillment, of finding satisfaction, of finding your own way and come to me. My way is a light i am gentle i think that's absolutely unbelievable and we resist because it doesn't make sense to us Sense to us how can the meek how can being humble how can setting aside how can serving how can loving how can set how can not pursuing these things and working so hard how can that possibly bring fulfillment and we resist and i think the solution is probably this for some of us anyway how's your way working I came to that realization one day. I was working so hard and I just kept falling on my, falling on my face, falling on my face. And I would try again and over, I look back over like the five to 10 years of my life and look back and I go, yeah, I've tried all the things and it just doesn't seem to work. I remember a buddy of mine, uh, Brian asked me one time, he goes, he said, why do you think that we value church so much? Why do you think we value these things too much?' And I, so much? And I said, because I've had the great fortune of nearly destroying my life multiple times. I've tried my own way so many times and it's come so close to destroying me you know what just to give up and try somebody else's so many people I just look at and they're just so adamant about what they believe and their way and they will not listen and I just sometimes I want to go but you don't seem happy you don't seem satisfied you just seem bitter so maybe this maybe look and go hey if I'm not following Jesus maybe you stop and go is your way working is it so great Is your way so great? Because this is available to everybody. So that's part of it. The other one is learning obedience. Learning that God's way is better than your way. Learning to trust him. There's this amazing place later in Matthew where Jesus prays this prayer. He prays this line. He's he's in the garden and he's praying and he goes to God, he knows he's going to the cross and it's not just a physical agony, but, but God's wrath poured out on him and he says this, he says, God, not, I don't want this. I, I, I don't want this. If there's any other way, please find another way, but not your will, but mine. That's not just resignation. I think a lot of times that I pray it that way, I'm like, or I give God an out with that line. I'm like, not my way, but your way. Like, just like I'm trying to like, uh, just give him, uh, uh, if it doesn't happen, then, you know, uh, he didn't fail me. Uh, but it's not that. It's not resignation to like, it's, 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 hey, it's, it's. It's learning to trust that not my will, but yours, because your way, no matter how this looks, I know it's going to be better than mine. This is going to be hard, and I don't want to do these things. There's going to be suffering this way. It's going to be struggle. I think I'm going to make people mad if I do this. And he says, but you know what? Not my, I, don't, I don't want to do this. And we go to him, and we bring that to him in prayer. I don't want to do this. But you know what, God? If that's the way, I'm learning to believe and learning to trust that your way is better than mine. If I have to go and ask for forgiveness from this person that I've wounded, then I'm gonna do it. If I have to love this person who's difficult to, to, to love, I, I don't wanna do that, God, but could you just take them away and maybe give them a different job? But you know what? If that's not your will, then teach me to love them. This relationship, I need to have it. I, I want this so bad, but God, if it's not your will, you know what? I, I trust that your will is better than mine. Even though I don't understand it, I'm learning to believe that your way is better than mine. Not my will, but yours. Because it's just going to be better. Thy will be done. Same is true in our lives. Jesus comes, about around, about, comes around talking about the kingdom and bringing this kingdom in the way that nobody expected. And he does the same thing in our life. It's true. The kingdom comes in our life and it comes in just ways that don't make any sense to us, in unexpected ways. I try to avoid it, but I can't here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this in Mere Christianity. He says, imagine yourself, I've used this before, but I don't care. I love it so much. Uh, he, uh, He says, imagine yourself as a living house, and God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, so on. You knew those jobs needed to be done, and so you're not surprised. But presently, He starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a nice, decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. I love it. I have to quote it all the time because it's so good. It's just such my experience in life. He wants so much better for me than I even want for myself. That's the promise is that he wants more for me than I could even dream of for myself. And so when he comes and we pray, "Thy kingdom come, thy will be done," you can go ahead and expect for it to hurt more than you thought it was going to and be far better than you could have ever dreamed of. That's the promise. That is the beauty. And then we don't just pray this. He sends us out to live this. To bring this kingdom about, not just in our hearts, but in our, uh, in in everywhere we go, in the families, in the lives around us, to uh He makes us an agent of this kingdom coming. He makes us part of bringing this into the world. When we take kingdom values, these new kingdom values, and we go into a world that has different values, and we begin to gain ground, kingdom ground, in the way that we go about our life, and in our relationship, let's say, for example, if you're married, your relationship goes forward. The kingdom goes forward in your family when you learn that your, that your spouse's job is not to make you happy. That's not their job. That's not their primary job. Your primary job is not to to feed off what they give you, but your primary job is on days that they don't love you to love them anyway. To forgive them when they don't deserve forgiving, to, to love them when they don't deserve loving, and to learn how to do that. And as your spouse doing the same thing, and what you find is when we do this, the kingdom goes forward in that relationship, and it goes forward in your family and has a generational impact. And it affects the people around you as you learn to forgive and be forgiven. And then you learn to do it in church. You learn to do it with friends. You learn to do all of these things. And the kingdom values gain ground. Loving your enemy, seeing the weak lifted up, the hurting healed, investing in people that that, the world says they're not worth investing in. And we do it anyway for the great glory of God. We practice this and we do it imperfectly, but it is us tuning our instruments for when we The whole thing is made new. What Jesus did, he did once and for all, uniquely. But... He teaches us the song, right? He teaches us the same ways, and we go about and we mess around and we do it poorly, but we do it anyway. We, we, we these songs of forgiveness and love and grace and mercy, and we live these out as imperfectly as we do, gaining, uh, getting better and better and better at them over time, hopefully. But when we live these out, the song that He sings begins to spread, and in some way, He uses the kingdom, uses us to bring about the kingdom even now, starting next Sunday. Uh, is a season called Advent. If you're not familiar with the church seasons, uh, it's a long time ago. Some people got together and said, you know what, it would probably be beneficial if, uh, you know, we have rhythms of life anyway. Um, You know, why don't we just make the rhythms of our year uh, uh, circle around Jesus' life, right? So we have Advent, which is leading up to Christmas. And so often these things like Lent and then Easter, they're patterns of kind of feast and, and fasting, yeah and so advent is this season and i love it so much i think that we are just advent people we live our whole lives in some way in advent advent is this this time in between right jesus has come but we long for him to come again we live between the two arrivals of jesus he came once but he's coming back and so we live in the in between in some sense the kingdom has come When Jesus came and he died and he rose again, the first century Christians believed that, that Jesus had come in an unexpected way. He brought God's kingdom into the world and that we, the prophecies had been fulfilled even though it wasn't in the way that everybody expected. The cosmos has turned a corner with Jesus' resurrection from darkness back into light. Jesus is that door that we enter into, that we have access to this kingdom life because we are tied to him by faith. But there's also a not yet part of it too, right? Things aren't as they should be. There is still sickness. There is still hurting. There is still death. There is still loss. Yes, the kingdom is here in a very real way and has has arrived, but we are waiting for it to come in full power. It will come when the world is healed and the whole creation finally joins in that song. So in the meantime, we live out this kingdom values, these kingdom values and these kingdom things and in this, in this God's rule among God's people in God's place. So we live these things out all over wherever we go, advancing the gospel, being outposts of hope and advancing the gospel, this good news. This is what, this is what, Your friends that are struggling and hurting, this is what they need. Your family that is lost and doesn't know what to do next, this is what they need. They need this gospel light. And so we live out these kingdom things with each other while we wait. One of the things that we do is we, together, one of the practices that reminds us of this is coming together for communion, right? Uh, To come to the table, uh, the bread representing the body broken and the juice or the wine representing the blood spilled that we could have life Instead of bringing offerings, we receive Christ's offering. Instead of sacrificing to our God, our God has sacrificed for us. Instead of worshiping something that will consume us, we worship a God who has invited us to commune with him. So we're going to, well, I pray, we'll set out the elements, and when this is over, we'll come, we'll grab the elements. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and then return to your seats, and then I'll come up after this song in which we respond to what God has said to us, I'll come back up and lead us in taking the elements as a family, yeah? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your meal. Thank you for bringing us together to worship you. I thank you for this church. What a gift. A place that constantly points me to Jesus when I am not at my best, when I am at my worst. A place that loves me and picks me up, dusts me off, and puts me back on the way following you. I thank you for the songs that we sing, for the Texts that are read for the relationships that are growing for the communion that is shared. That point me to you. So this morning we pray that all the things that we do, that we long for your kingdom to come. For things to be made new. For things to be fixed. And we know that your kingdom has come in, in, in an incredible way. That it is a reality. It is a present reality. But we also long for it to come in full. For there to be no more tears. For there to be no more loss. So while we wait, teach us, grow us in trusting you that obedience to you is far better than anything that we could have for ourselves. So in this, in my heart, in my life, in my family, in this church, in this city, into the ends of the world, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.